Hello and welcome to another episode of another football podcast from our series Keeping Up with Liga Mikeys. This is episode 9. For all you Chivas hermanos, Chivas de corazón, this is episode 9. Everything about Chivas. Um, hope you guys enjoy it and let's just get started. You ready, Tom? Yeah, last one to do before the season starts properly and pretty big one, I reckon. Definitely. So let's get right to it. Let's dig into Apertura 2019, where Chivas ended in 10th place on the table with 25 points. Let's backtrack a little in regards to who was in charge of that team, which was Tomas Boy. A lot of people kind of just waiting for the game for him to be sacked. And well, the time came where he was sacked after Jornada 11, leading up to El Clásico versus América. I mean, what a time to sack a coach, right? But Luis Fernando Tena came in for El Clásico. Tom, talk to me about just the transition from Tomás Boy to Luis Fernando Tena towards mid-season and then finishing off the season. Yeah, well, like you said, the Boy era never had too much positivity surrounding it in general. Um, the team didn't, I think, improve very much. Uh, from the Cardoso era, which, you know, was also a questionable appointment. They started off that season, actually that Apertura, okay, but mainly because they got five penalties in, in the first seven games, which really helped them. And then um, three penalties against in consecutive games took them the other way. And obviously it was a bit of a surprise when the decision was made. And I thought a little bit harsh bringing in Tena straight into the Classical for the first game. I mean... That is a difficult situation to put a coach into. But, you know, after that, they actually had a really nice run of games to end the season. And they won four of their last five games, which obviously is pretty impressive. But uh, when you look at the fixtures, they had the likes of Veracruz, um, Toluca and Juarez in there. So they were playing some of the the weakest teams in the league at the time. Um, but it certainly changed the mood around the place and... Although he was just a temporary appointment, I think perhaps that run of fixtures ended up leading to a decision being made to extend his contract, which, you know, again, we question the decision-making of clubs and how short-termist their decisions are. You know, should you really... If you've brought a coach in temporarily, should you decide that they're the right person just because they've beaten some weak teams? Um, does that show that the team has a real solid long-term plan in place not sure but certainly he's a coach who's got a lot more pedigree and previous success than uh some of the past um coaches that chivas have had um since almeida definitely a surprise for the extension of Tena's contract others could say you know what like you said it was a temporary fix let's honestly get a serious project going but apostaron con Tena leading up to Clausura 2020 another huge change the club Belaez joined sporting director kind of seen as a great addition in regards and I think we definitely saw that wave of signings I mean money was just spent left and right it's kind of like they gave 
um Bella is a blank check like hey here you go work your magic bring us some quality players um and that's what he did I mean we saw signings like Uriel Antuna which was questionable for me we actually talked about the Necaxa Triangulo Cristian Calderon and Alexis Peña we also saw the return of JJ Macias which a lot of Chiva Romanos were excited about but I was slightly heartbroken as you guys know he was in Leon um but he returns home they also acquired Madueña and Gallo Vasquez Tom in regards to these signings a lot of people were like oh this is just gonna be a super Chivas like it's just gonna go from here to the stars were these good signings I mean we're gonna talk about the departures but just by looking at these signings when Pelayas joins what did you think what were your thoughts instantly about these signings well, I mean, my first thought was, wow, they've put a lot of faith into Pelias. Like, this is a huge amount of money that has been spent on some of these players. We're talking, you know, we never know the exact details, but we're talking sort of 10 or plus million dollars for Antuna. We're talking around $20 million for the trio from the Caxa. So... Yes, well, as we'll go into about Polito, they got some of that money back and maybe they'll make some Macias in the future. But still, we're talking about a lot of money being spent here. And, you know, Pelias has obviously had a fair amount of success in the past, but I think we also have to consider the fact that he's always been at teams that have given him money. And I don't know if that's part of his thing, he demands this, or if there's just faith in what he's done before that the teams believe that he will spend money right but the truth is he spent the money very obviously these were some of the obvious younger mexican players who were doing well in Liga Mekis or had been playing for the national team and plus a couple of experienced guys as well one of whom had, had been at Chivas before in, in Vasquez in terms of were these good is this a successful transfer window I don't think we can say yet and this is where I thought the whole kind of super Chivas concept wasn't a great thing to say. I mean, let's not forget that the age of these players that were coming in, most of them are 22, like Antuna, Calderon, Angulo, Peña, 23. Uh, Macias obviously did so well at Leon, but still only 20. There's a lot of younger guys coming in here. I don't see this as let's sign players now to win the league straight away. I see this as let's sign players and if they're going to justify the amount of money that's been spent on them, these have to be players that are cornerstones of this Chivas squad for years in the future. Not let's make a super Chivas now. That shouldn't be the aim. It should be let's have a Chivas team that can consistently make Ligueas because that is something we've just haven't seen for so long. And that for me is... Uh, the determining factor of whether or not these transfers were successful it's not how they do now necessarily it's what happens in the next few years going forward because they could still make profit on these guys potentially they could potentially not but if they get many many years of these guys starting in a Chivas team that are regularly making the gears then the transfers will have been worth it but and especially with Tenner getting the contract extension, you have to question how much thought was put into the style of play and and how these players are going to fit together. Uh, that's something I'm not sure with Pelias how much that's been considered. 
Definitely. I think we've always, you know, at the start of every pod been enforcing that the style of play. And I think maybe with the extension of Tena and, and Belais, I, I'm not sure there was much of that overlapping thinking when they were bringing players. Pretty obvious that the signings that Chivas had, like you said, was obvious young Mexicans that were doing well. So very important. Again, we sound like a broken record, but I think this is just a foundation that we have mentioned every single team must have. In regards to Luis Fernando Tena, Tom, talk to me about what is his style of play? Well, it's really one of the most difficult to define. I think Chivas have been quite difficult to, f- to define in many years. And actually what's strange is although they've had a lot of changes of coaches in the last few seasons, there hasn't been a great variation in a sort of basic sense of the way they've played. There's been changes in some formations. There's been changes in some different tactics but generally they have always been a team that have not had they haven't been a team that's had loads of possession but they normally had a little bit more than 50% um, they've also generally been a team that hasn't played very direct they're normally really low ranked for long balls uh, for aerial drills and for the speed of their attack they normally play quite slowly but they, you could, in that sense, sort of long balls and verticality, we can say the speed of the attack, you could put them with teams like Tigres and Morelia under Guede and Leon under Ambris, but compared to those teams, they normally have a lot less possession. So it's a little bit confusing. Um, the other thing with Tena that's been confusing is there's been such a, especially in the clausura, such variety of, of performances that they've had. They've gone from, you know, against the team that was ended top of the table. They weren't the best team in the league, but they did end up top of the table. Cruz Azul, you know, they lost at home 2-1. Really unlucky defeat. They completely tore them apart. But, you know, that came not long after they had lost 3-0 at Tigres, in which they tried to press Tigres really, really high, um, which completely didn't work. And then before that, they'd had the game against San Luis where they went to San Luis and were completely taken apart. I mean, they, they could barely string a pass together and, and San Luis um, ended up sneaking a draw, but they were far better side. So it was a real strange clausura, I thought, very um, up and down, but one consistent problem that they've had, and this is under different Chivas coaches um, and it's continued under Tena, is they've really struggled to progress the ball into the final third and into the box. They normally rank in the bottom half or quite near the bottom of the league for touches in the final third or touches in the box. So that's been, I think, a big question um, of how Chivas can improve that. Now, the young, youthful attack brings pace, pace on the counter that I think a lot of Chivas fans have thought for a while that they've lacked that pace of um, their attacking players on the counter and now you've got likes of Angulo and Antuna and Vega and Macias and they really offer that so if teams do give them space to attack into like we saw in that game against America recently in the Copa por Mexico they can be very very dangerous but against a more organized defense where Chivas have to have a little bit more of the ball and play that more slower style can they find a way through their positional play for their organization through their passing combinations to get the ball into more dangerous areas because that's something they've really struggled with 
And that's really the big question I have for them going into the uh, into this apertura, or Guadiana, as I should say. Talking about departures, um, Alan Pulido departure to MLS was a huge one. We had Tortas, which is one of my favorite. Torta Perez to Querétaro, Van Raquin, Cervantes to Santos, Mayorga to Pumas, Alanis to MLS. So, Tom, here comes my question. In regards to the arrivals, what has Chivas gained? And in regards to the departures, what has Chivas lost? Well, I think one of the big gains that I just brought up a minute ago is real pace on in attack i think they can cause a lot more problems in counter-attacking situations than they have done in previous seasons so i think that's the big gain obviously you can also say as i have about the fact that most of these big signings were younger players that they've potentially got the basis of a strong squad for a long period of time now but on the flip side, you look at guys like Van Rankin, Cervantes, Mallorca, they weren't old players themselves. And certainly there was quite a lot of hype and expectation about Cervantes. But yeah, I think this brings up a good, another good question going forward for Chivas. And I think kind of the theme of this podcast is there are so many more questions than answers for Chivas right now. Um, is that the those guys, those younger guys, could have potentially been the basis of a Chivas team for the long period of time. Certainly, I'm sure many people had hopes that guys like Cervantes and Mallorca, who I believe Mallorca is on loan, so he could come back, but I'm sure many people hoped that they were going to be part of the squad for years to come. But it's a tough place to play. The problem so often with Chivas is that lack of patience because there's such a huge and expectant fan base that demand some some level of success and it's a difficult place to go and i think coming back to what i said earlier that's why i think this idea of the super chivas is potentially very damaging to these players talking about clausura 20 the cancelled one chivas ended in fifth with 16 points now, here comes the bigger questions that me and Tom were, were talking about in regards to Chivas, and I think Tom kind of explained a little of, of what we're going at. But let's flash back again. Clausura 2017, Chivas versus Tigres. Chivas sale campeón. From Clausura 2017 to this day present, now, year 2020, which has been a terrible year, but that's the least of, of what I'm trying to say. Chivas haven't qualified in the Liguilla since they became campeón. The inconsistency. I feel like, yes, you know, that game, I, I remember watching that game, and, you know, we can all have our own takes on what that crazy final looked like. But at the end of the day, yes, Chivas became campeón. But what has happened from 2017 till now? What has Chivas been missing in the past three years? I mean, I respect an all-Mexican team. I admire it. It's the only team in Liga Mekis who has all Mexican players, and you expect them to be successful. You you put them in at a pedestal, like they are the only all Mexican team in Liga Mekis. Now with this season in a different Liga format, I feel I've seen a lot of comments on Twitter. You know, the Chiva Hermanos kind of celebrating as a joke, like they would actually get to participate this year because of the lack of them not qualifying to Liga in the past three years. Is their standard lowering because of it? I mean, talking about patience, is it that the directiva doesn't have the patience and therefore it kind of 
it kind of mirrors the Chiba Hermanos not having patience and just seeing a bad outcome from a coach. Okay, you're done. Like, what's been going on these past three years? Well, you know, a lot of people talk in Liga Mekis about lack of patience, um, which is certainly a major aspect of the league. Regular coaching changes, regular transfers. We see quite a lot of transfers often between clubs, just players moving around, coaches moving around, and the recycling, as, as people like to say. But patience is only useful if you actually have a plan. And this is something I've come to, I think, change my mind upon a little bit, is that I think in so many cases with so many teams, actually having more patience wouldn't make any bit of a difference. Because if you've got no plan, if you've got no set style of play that you're working to, that, that you're building towards, uh, that you're building a squad towards being able to achieve this style of play, then there's no point having patience. If your only aim is just, oh, we want to make Ligia this season, then what what difference does it make if you say, okay, yeah, Thomas Boy, you can have another six months? I don't think it matters. And so I think the problem with a lot of Liga Mekis teams is not necessarily just, oh, they're too quick to sack a coach. It's that actually they have no long-term plan or even medium-term plan sometimes. There's little thought of long-term squad planning in terms of how many minutes certain players are going to get, how they're going to develop certain players, whether that be younger guys from their own academy or or guys they sign and bring in. There's little thought of a, a set style of play they want to, to do. That's very much up to the coach. And, um, you know, a lot of coaches in Mexico have to an extent a style a lot of Mexicans um, a lot of coaches in Mexico don't have a very clear style so bringing this back to Chivas I mean I can understand some some fans kind of joking about hey we might actually make make the gear this time you know that that is understandable and it hasn't been good enough that they've been ever since winning Liga Mekis uh, they, they haven't made it into a Liga and like I've touched on earlier they've played fairly similarly not super high press not super high possession not super low press not super low possession somewhere in the middle and generally it's been pretty slow football and there's been this issue of struggling to get the ball into dangerous areas this has happened on consistent consistent coaches and they've ended up just taking lots of shots from poor locations and they've just never seemed to have any sort of plan or identity in the way that they've played that they've been building towards. It's a real shame, especially when you think about the history of this team, which was the team that Cruyff came to in Mexico. And, you know, no one in football is known so much for being so driven by style than Johan Cruyff. But I think Chivas have really lost that connection moving on to the mexican spotlight we were kind of torn between two players obviously because it's chivas all mexican teams so we decided to add two players the obvious one jj macias 
one of my favorites that kind of left me heartbroken, but that's another story. And Fernando Beltran. Question from at Chulito, which we kind of just tweeted right before we recorded. Now, in regards to JJ Macias, what does JJ have to improve on to be a strong forward in Europe? Well, I guess the obvious answer to that and something which is a big difference in between football at the top level in Europe and Mexico is the development and the intensity of of pressing um, or just defensive work in general. Now, we've seen a lot of links in the past with Macias to Dortmund. They're a team, obviously, were coached by Klopp and then Thomas Tuchel. They're well-known for historically being a very high-pressing, classic German team. So they would expect certain work rate and defensive intelligence from a striker to block the potential progressive passes um, of the opponent's defenders as as they play out from the back. And really the same goes if for a lot of teams in Europe, if they're not playing a high-pressing game, they still expect their strikers to drop back and create a very compact defense, something which we see a lot less in Mexico. We see a more stretch game, um, more spaces between the lines. So that's something defensive intelligence, I think, perhaps more so than just work rate in terms of blocking off uh, forward passes is, is something you'd have to improve on. And then I guess the other thing is just adapting to a bit of a faster pace of game uh, which Europe tends to have um, than than in Mexico. Obviously, in Mexico, heat, altitude, humidity makes it impossible to play at a huge intensity for full 90 minutes, and that's something that he would have to adapt to, I think, in, in Europe. Um, but certainly, I think he's someone that has the potential to play in Europe, and I hope to see it soon. In regards to Fernando Beltran, does the eye test match the stats for Beltran? I think yes and no. Um, Beltran's someone who's become a bit of a fan favorite. I think um, in the last season or two, he's someone who produces some eye-catching, shall I say, highlight reel moments. Uh, What he's very good at is avoiding pressure in the midfield, which is a fantastic attribute for a player to have, um, particularly in modern football. He's someone who can you know, dribble past opponents in the midfield. He can beat players with his first touch. He can bring all kinds of passes under control. We often see him receiving some poor passes from his teammates and he manages to bring it under control and he very, very rarely loses the ball. His um, pass completion percentage is one of the best in Liga Mekis, which for a guy of his age is very impressive. The problem of his game is obviously he's very much a in possession player he's not someone who does a huge amount defensively it's something that he could add to his game but the main problem with his um with his game is that if he's to be playing alongside Molina as we normally see him do in a 442 or 4231 under Tena then we know Molina's not great in possession. He's he's the real holding midfielder, protects the defense, wins the ball back. Beltran's got to be the one who's progressing the ball forward. He's got to be the one, and coming back to Chivas' struggles of getting into the final third, getting into the box, Beltran's got to be a player who 
is regularly playing what we call progressive passes, passes forward of a minimum distance. And this is something that he very rarely does. He, Yes, he rarely gives the ball away, but he plays too many simple passes that aren't breaking lines, that aren't moving Chivas up the pitch. Why is this? Well, perhaps this is an intelligence, uh, you know, lacking the vision to do this. Perhaps this is a, a mental thing, you know, lacking the want to take a bit more of a risk with this passing and wanting to just uh, keep the ball. But it's something that I think he lacks. And so perhaps the answer to the question is that no, the eye test doesn't quite match the stats for Beltran. Although in terms of, you know, is he good at keeping the ball? Yes. I mean, the stats absolutely do match that. Now, just to throw it in there, because obviously I have to, the big, big thing for me is why Achivas not playing with Dita Pando more? Because, and you laugh at this point, I had to bring it up. But the thing is, he is exactly the player they need in terms of, a midfield player who moves the ball regularly into dangerous areas, which is something that Chivas needs so badly. He is up there with the best in the league. He's up there with the likes of Sambuesa and uh, Luis Montes at being extremely good at doing this. And I think they're missing out on what could be an incredibly important part of a successful team by leaving him mainly on the bench. There it is, Dieter Villalpando mentioned. I was waiting for that the whole podcast. If you guys don't know, Tom, Tom loves Dieter Villalpando. And I think you're right. A lot of people underestimate what Dieter can do. And I think they focus more on the signings and on the bigger names. And they kind of don't realize what kind of player they do have. And he's just sitting on the bench while they could definitely have a huge impact on the field. Yeah, and obviously I get why... There's excitement over a young homegrown player like Beltran, and I'm not, sh- not and I'm not saying that he shouldn't be a really important part of the squad who gets a lot of minutes. Absolutely not, but you know, at the moment, he is just nowhere near the level of Dieter. Hashtag Dieter to start next weekend versus my my Leon, but that's another story. So that was our Mexican spotlight in regards to JJ Macias and Fernando Beltran. We will see what this upcoming season has for them, what we see of them, and hopefully, yes, Dieter will have more of a starting role. And if not, well, I guess it's time to loan him out to a team who will definitely take advantage of what he has to offer. That was your Mexican Spotlight. That was episode nine, full Chivas in-depth. Hope you guys liked it. Hope you guys, especially Chivarmanos, kind of took a bit of this and just looking into the upcoming season. Maybe you have better luck this year. Uh, we shall see. Uh, thank you guys for listening to this episode. Um, just if you guys want to follow any Chivas related news on Twitter, uh, if you guys are into Chivas Femenil, follow at Chivas underscore F-E-N-G. And that account is run by Melissa. Awesome, awesome 
a friend of mine who runs an amazing account, Everything Chivas Femenil, and also follow Chivas del Norte in regarding to just everything Chivas. They record on a weekly basis, so I know they are recording today, so there you go. Two Chivas pods in a week for you guys, so uh, don't forget to follow them on social medias. Don't forget to follow at another pod on our Twitter account, and we are on Anchor and Spotify also as another football podcast. Tom, if people aren't following you, where can they follow you at? It's at Tom H underscore 36. And you can follow me at Caritorres underscore seven. Thank you guys once again. Let us know what you thought about this Chiba podcast. Did you like it? Did you not like it? Let us know. Um, it's just the countdown for Guardianes 2020. So uh, thank you guys once again. Hope you enjoy listening to this podcast. And we'll see you in another episode of another football podcast. <laughs>